Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Hey all, it's me, Bishoy. As a marathon runner and endurance athlete, I've come to understand the importance of properly fueling your body for preparation and recovery. Every day you get a shot at success. How you start your day typically paints a picture of what the rest of the day will look like. Start your day with a super convenient, healthy, and delicious nutritional win. Meal one by Creatures of Habit. Overnight oatmeal packed with 30 grams of plant-based protein, chia, flax, and pumpkin seeds. Vitamin D3, omega-3s, a probiotic, and digestive enzymes made in under one minute. Stop wasting time or worrying about what to eat as your first meal of the day. Start with meal one. Visit creaturesofhabit.com, creatures spelled with a K, and use code MILE40 for 15% off a one-time purchase or the first subscription order payment. Welcome back to the Mile 40 podcast. We are about to kick off season four and... This, this episode just has me so excited. I cannot wait for you all to listen to this story and, and to kind of understand and, and, and uncover um, the roots behind this person. I am so excited to say that I have Max Siegelman with me today. Max is the founder of Siegelman Stable, an emerging premier fashion brand. He has worked with Kanye West, Virgil Abloh, LL Cool J, Brandon Marshall, and more while also expanding his reach with brand collaborations, including multiple NBA teams, Puma, Hypebeast, Lexus, and beyond. If there's one thing that these three people have in common, Kendall Jenner, Justin Bieber, Dwayne Wade, it's that they've worn the Siegelman Stable brand. Max, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. That's a big buildup. So I hope I live up to those, uh, that intro. I have no doubt, man. I know that there are several people listening to this show right now that have been watching you build this brand over the last couple of years and just thinking to themselves, where did this come from? Um, and you know, how did it turn into what it has turned into? So I'm going to pass it on to you really quick and just ask really quick about, uh, you know, a little bit of background on yourself um, and your family. You know, this is obviously a family owned institution. So let, let's start there. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I always say we're just warming up because I, I actually really believe we we are literally just warming up. Um, so yeah, I mean, Siegelman Stable in essence is a, an actual uh, racehorse stable. My dad started his own racing stable in the 80s, hence the side hit on the hat 1982. Um, so existed before I existed. Uh, I had nothing really to do with the horse racing side of things my entire life. Um, and then fast forward to the pandemic and it put me in a position to have a little bit more time and not traveling with clients and working as much. Um, and, uh, or I should say working on the road as much, it was definitely working as much, uh, but you find yourself with a little bit more time. And, uh, I had always wanted to have some more pieces other than the two that I had that had the Siegelman stable, uh, logo and, and name on it. 
uh, had like an OG hat and an OG jacket that my dad had made in like the eighties. Um, but nothing like since I was born literally was, was made. Um, so decided to kind of just take the existing brand and never intended to sell it or anything. It was just making it for family and friends, giving it to them or selling it for whatever it costs me. And was hit enough on my own Instagram about like, Hey, where can I buy this? What's the website? Can I go somewhere and get it? Um, and then decided to just sell those six SKUs, three hats, three sweatshirts, uh, and set up a Shopify. I had no clue what I was doing. Didn't really have a fashion background, maybe worked with like a few designers and a, a few creative directors, um, but never like for myself or never studied it or anything. Uh, Shopify, like no clue what I'm doing, setting up a Shopify, plugging in a few items, putting a price to it. Um, and then once I started doing that a few times over, uh, really started to put a little bit of strategy and thought together in how we could get it out there. Uh, what are we making? What do we do? What am I doing? Um, and two years later, a little bit over two years later, it's kind of uh, accelerated very fast um, and been an amazing learning process and business creation um, that has put us in a really good position in, in how we want to move forward with with the brand. That's amazing. What was your professional background? Uh, I did creative and social and marketing for uh, different hip hop artists and athletes. Um, also head up cultural relevance for one of the biggest uh, at-home media agencies. Um, so kind of a little all over the place. The first company I started uh, when I was a senior in high school with uh, my best friend's older brother, it was a, a social aggregation app. We were lucky enough to partner with LO Cool J and have him as a, a co-founder and investor. Um, so that was kind of my entree into like the entertainment space and, and started to really uh, create some amazing relationships in that world, um, which I think 10 years or eight years later kind of helped parlay a lot of um, outreach and brand acknowledgement when launching and getting Siegelman Stable off the ground. That's awesome. And, you know, with regards to the brand, um, was that a vision? Was that something that you, you know, had kind of maybe toyed with um, leading up to the pandemic that maybe you were putting kind of on the back burner? Or was it really um, just kind of a lot of creative thought that just kind of came into play given the time that you had then? Yeah, it was never a thought until until the pandemic. I was like, I started like drawing and like painting on sneakers for just like fun, like hanging out in my studio apartment by myself, like every night, right? Like there's only so many times you can like FaceTime your family and friends and like go on walks and like how many push-ups and sit-ups can you do in your in your studio apartment in a pandemic that you like thought in the beginning was gonna end soon, but then like continued to move on and on and on and on. Um, so like started to like paint sneakers and I think literally one day I was like painting a sneaker. I was like, I'm going to do a Siegelman stable, like theme sneaker. Uh, and I like posted it. I had like two people hit me up like, Hey, can you paint sneakers? I'll pay you whatever. I was like, I don't know what's going on. And then it kind of like triggered the idea of like starting to like remake the hat and this, the jacket and how to make it a sweatshirt. And it was just like, it really did happen out of nowhere. And just out of having like too much time on my hands during the pandemic in the beginning. That's absolutely wild. And, you know, when you think about how it started and where you are right now, it requires a ridiculous amount of discipline and strategy to build what you've built um, from the ground up, essentially. Um, and, you know, not a lot of people could have done what you did in that short period of time. Um, where do you think you uh, derived that? 
mind like the mindset or the mechanics really to kind of build a brand that quick. I know you're an athlete. I know that's how we've met uh with regards to our background, you know, whether it was through the New York City Marathon or through Tone House. Um, but you know, that 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 discipline, where'd that come from? And you know, in in the process. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a mix of things. I think it's like a little bit of a perfect storm. Uh and and I think like obviously the athlete mentality and like I think that was like a huge factor, just like in the pandemic, right? Just like having that set schedule. Like if you're getting up still in the morning before you went to an office, uh, now you're in a pandemic. Do you have to get up that early? You don't have to go to an office. You're working from home. And I I pretty much kept that schedule um, for like the first year of the pandemic. Like I got up early. I went for a run outside. I like bought dumbbells like everyone else did and like was working out in my apartment. And then it was like, you get to work. And then it's like the workday never really ends like maybe like your main full-time job ends at a certain time and then you move on to like what you really want to do um, or additional things you want to do. And I think that helped me from like, a, from the perspective of just having the the cadence and, 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 and that work ethic. And then I think when you're starting a brand, it's like, it's really funny. I think we're like, we're in such a, a content creator economy that like, if you have a following, you can create a brand. Uh, I didn't have a following. I just had a really interesting brand story that I felt like was untold and I could tell it strategically and in a cool way that relates to interests of mine, Uh, whether that's streetwear, athletes, hip hop music, just like pop culture in general. Um, And the coolest part of it is like, I'm telling a story that I know like the back of my hand because it's my dad. Uh, So it's, it's really, it was really again, like a perfect storm of like taking this story, not diverting in any which way from the real brand story of a racing stable and equine therapy and, and all of that stuff, but to a totally new audience that has never really seen or heard it. Um, which obviously there's challenges and like a lot of breakthrough that you need to do to even do that. Right. And then taking bits and pieces that you see from, other brands that have been super successful, like a Supreme or an Eric Emanuel, and how do they look and feel on social? How do they do their drops? How do they create their community? Like there's so many different things to look at. And I think like if you pick your favorite pieces of all of those and try and plug them into the best way possible for your brand, brand story and and and, and items, I think then that could potentially work. Right. But I'm not saying that would work for everything. Um, but I think we've been blessed in a really good position to give it a really good run to make it really work. Absolutely. Um, and, and just for context for the listeners, um, do you mind sharing the brand story uh, a little bit in particular talking about the work you've done with equine therapy, um, and, and kind of just looping everybody in on that? Yeah. I mean, as soon as I decided to start selling items to people that were just not family and friends and launch a website, uh, I knew any brand that's just kind of starting out of nowhere really needs one, a good brand story and two to like have a purpose. Don't just like create clothes to create clothes and that's not sustainable. It's not good for the world. And we really put a lot of emphasis on sustainability and being one of the first sustainable luxury streetwear brands. And that's just a small piece of our brand. Um, but the equine therapy piece, I, I said, just to be true to the brand story, my dad had always opened up his race stable to outside of just using his racehorses to race horses. And that's how he made uh, a life for himself. 
Um, he was training these racehorses for people who had tons of money or people who uh, were just doing it for fun or their livelihood or whatever. And this was literally his job. But in addition to that, he opened up his stables to um, inner city youth programs that he either created or attached his stable to or veterans programs and opening up his stable to veterans with PTSD uh, to to be in with these animals and and go through equine therapy programs um, or special needs kids and, and still does. Uh, that to this day and every day. Um, so to me, that's a huge piece of this brand story. And so for every item that we sell or for every drop we do, uh, we will link up with a different equine therapy program around the world to to donate a portion of proceeds um, and think that's super important. And we'll, as long as we sell pieces, uh, we will always uh, donate a portion of proceeds to those equine therapy programs. Awesome. How has your family rallied around you um, since you've built this? Right. Like, you know, yeah. what, were the, what were the initial reactions? Um, did your dad maybe just want to keep it to to a stable? Um, and, and did you have to talk him into the fact that, you know, this is an opportunity or were they on board from day one? Uh, I want to say it was a mix. It was like definitely on board. He's like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, and I think there was probably thoughts of like, who the fuck's going to wear a Siegelman stable hat? <laughs> I think verbally someone told me that in my family, not my brother or my parents, maybe an extended family member. Um, and, and I think like as things continue to build and certain people wore it or it was seen somewhere and someone random in an airport ran into someone else wearing a hat and they're like, oh, nice hat. Like it just began to like kind of be a norm for them. And it's it's I mean, they are always supporting me in everything and anything that I've ever done. Um, we actually just did the Super Bowl event for Don Julio and, and Johnny Walker and bringing their two Diageo brands in house together and doing a three piece capsule. And I brought my family out there to, to, yeah. to enjoy it. And um, I mean, it's awesome, man. It's it's literally like it's my dad's story. My mom obviously plays a huge role in it. And, and she actually designed these two logos in the 80s. She like hand drew them out. Uh, I literally got my trademark today after filing it two years ago and I sent him a screenshot and she responded 41 years after I filed for, uh, Siegelman stables incorporated for my dad. Right. So like it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's, it's heritage legacy. Um, and, and then definitely, uh, a huge support system, uh, even before this, but, but definitely now for, for this thing that we're, that we're doing. That's awesome. Um, you know, one thing that you mentioned that this is the ultimate airport hat. I personally was not a hat guy, uh, but I, I think I texted you a couple of months ago because I saw someone. Ra- I live in Chelsea, and I saw someone randomly walking around meatpacking wearing it, and I'm like, "All right, enough's enough. I got to get myself one of these hats. I'm not even a hat guy, and now I cannot literally go to an airport without wearing this hat." Um, and so, it's ultimate funny, it's, air. It's, 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 I think it's even before. Even before, I guess like early on, like when hats were starting to circulate, maybe a little bit more and more, it became like a, like a networking piece. Yeah. And like, if you were wearing the hat, it's like, you knew, you knew, but then the other person wearing the hat was like, yo, do you know Max? And it was like a fun, interesting networking, like experiment. And I heard amazing stories of like two random people I know from totally two different worlds, like colliding in an airport or on a beach in Miami and they were both wearing the hat and they started to have a conversation. They ended up doing business two months later, or one person was wearing the hat and actually was friends with me or knew me. And the other person had no clue. They just heard of the brand. It's like, it's, it's still in like a really cool phase where yes, we're growing. No, we're not ginormous, 
um, to any stretch of the imagination, but it really feels like the community that we built of, of customers or just fans of the brand, even if you don't own a piece or have never bought a piece is really, really cool and interesting. And, 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 and literally like a, a networking piece and like a approachable thing to be like, yo, nice hat. Like I have one of those or like, yo, you know, Max or like, I think it's just, I think it's really cool and special. Absolutely. I mean, I actually recently had one of those encounters. I was in, I was in Aspen a couple of weeks ago with a couple of buddies and I was wearing the hat and same thing. Someone was like, Oh, like you're wearing a Siegelman hat. Like, do you know Max? And I'm like, yes, I know Max. And it, it, it kind of crazy because it is such a, you know, you see the names, like I said, a Kendall Jenner, a Justin Bieber, a Dwayne Wade wearing the hat, but then you see the non A-list celebrities wearing the hats. And it's, it's like, there's this connection, um, that, that brings everybody together. Um, and, um, I mean, aside from all that, the quality is top notch. So let's talk a little bit about that. When you decided to go down this route um, and and make the products, um, what was behind the decision of making this like you know like the best quality and not just like selling like your average hat? Like where where was the mindset there? This is this is a premium product. Um, and what was your approach? Yeah, I think one like I want to make something that I'm gonna wear. Uh, and, and two, it's like, well, I guess first off, it's like, I wanted to recreate the original pieces that I had as close as possible. Uh, and the, the hat I had was like a five panel hat, maybe a little bit less structured, but still had the high top. Um, it actually had a rope across the front, but I felt like the rope across the front when I first started, this wasn't, um, wasn't a popular item in, in, uh, in fashion, or at least in what I thought my uh, potential customer base or audience would, would like. Um, but again, like you want to make something that you're going to wear, right? So if it's good enough for you, then hopefully others will buy it. I think it's also super interesting when you're fully an e-com brand or especially just starting in an e-com brand. It's like no one can touch and feel it. So your best marketing is word of mouth. So if someone gets the hat and they have nothing good to say about it, it's your worst marketing. Um, and that's that was a huge piece for me. And then if you if you send it to someone like names that you're mentioning and they see it and it's shit, they won't wear it. But if they wear it, that could change your entire business. And you you now they don't have that customer doesn't have to be there and actually touch and feel it. They trust that person because of their high profile uh name. Um, so I think all of those things definitely played a role in it. Again, I I literally didn't know what I was doing when I first started this. I like didn't really have a, a fashion background in any which way. It's been a huge education for me. Um, and there are things that I probably would have changed now looking back at it. And uh, well, it's hard to say that because I think things are going very well in, in the way it started. Um, but obviously certain things you change from, again, from a sustainability side, from whatever it is. Um, but we've put a lot of um, uh, effort and 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 time into trying to get those things lined up exactly how we want to. Got it. Um, you know, just for the sake of keeping the podcast on brand. Uh, I want to ask you, um, you know, if there are any particular challenges along the way that stood out, um, you know, from inception, um, you know, and, and as you were learning along the way, were there any points along the way where you perhaps, you know, hit a roadblock or, you know, a moment of like, I don't know if this is going to work out? Totally. Every day, I think there's a another roadblock or bump. And, and I think it's a lot of mindset and trying to get through that. I think like, as much as this is probably like the best time of my life and like the most stuff great going, I probably had some of the darkest weeks or moments or days as well. Um, 
and like I have, I have a huge, uh, a huge effort this year and, and in the recent uh, time to just like focus a lot on mental health too. I think like I put a lot, like you mentioned of like running a marathon or doing hit workouts and, and stuff. And I think we pay so much attention to the, the physical, like beat up your body to get it better where like you beat up your mind, but you don't try and make it better. You just keep going. And I think I've, I've made an effort to try and change that mindset. Um, in terms of like specific things, there's definitely like moments where we had like some really, really good momentum and you'll get a lot of outside noise start to come in and people will tell you what they think will work really, really well. Um, and I think you should always listen and absorb and, and, and think on those things that people say, especially if they're coming from a place that they're either willing to help you or have done it themselves. But I think you should really question sometimes if people know um, or have done it themselves. Uh, but if someone tells you that, oh, this is what you should do, you should always question if uh, if they've done it or not, because they might just be saying something to say something. I think we fell into a place probably where I listened to enough outside noise where we tried to fill voids, whether that was like fulfillment or trying to get prices down or whatever. And you kind of lose your way a little bit. But I think I recognized that as fast as I could have and and changed course and corrected that. Um, and now I think we're in a better place for it. So I think it was a uh, an annoyance, uh, a slight setback, but I think it was a great learning point for us as a company um, to make sure we don't do that going forward. And what can we do to make it better than, than going that route? So where, uh, where are the products manufactured and how did you learn about that side of things? Yeah, we make, uh, everything in, uh, we keep everything local, uh, partially one, the sustainability side, the other side for me is I'm super hands-on with everything. I like to be able to like walk into a studio, like how's it getting printed? What does the embroidery look like? Uh, a little bit, a little bit of quality control. Uh, and hands-on is important to me. Um, so we make everything here. We have our main embroidery shop and print shop in in Brooklyn, where I live, uh, where our office is. And then we also, uh, to keep up with demand, uh, have an additional studio in in New Jersey. Um, so all all within uh, reach for me to show up at any time unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, you know, you bring up the demand side of things, and um, you know, from an from an outsider's perspective, one thing that I think about is um, when you're building something and perhaps it grows a little faster than you could have ever imagined. Um, you know, how do you handle that? And is that the case now where, you know, did you have control over the growth of this or did it get to a point where it just got really big, really fast and you had to kind of scramble and figure out how to, to meet the demand? Yeah, I think we... I've, I think I've been good at controlling the, the narrative in terms of uh, quantity uh, put out. Um, I think you have to pay super close attention and keep your pulse on your own community of customers. And then the second market, um, like we've, when I set out, I really wanted to, to me to build a brand, to spend $0 in marketing like we've done. You need to build that hype without selling too much product. And that's, very hard, like yeah. super hard. And you need to be super strategic about it. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw a hat or a piece of ours on resale, I was like, fuck yeah, we did it. Like <laughs> that was it for me. And 
I think that's when you really need to pay attention to how often you're doing drops. I think frequency is a huge piece of staying relevant. And we try and do drops as frequent and as close to every Friday as we can without overselling and seeing 150 products on resale websites. But there, there was a point maybe six or eight months ago where we paused. Um, we didn't pause production, but we, we paused selling product for like three or four weeks, which obviously hurts revenue. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end builds uh, additional brand equity by not having all of these pieces on resale at once where people are now paying a premium to get their hands on stuff because they don't know when you're going to sell something else. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a very fine line on, okay, did I just piss off Joe Smith who came to our website five weeks in a row and we sold out in 30 or 90 seconds and he couldn't get a hat yeah. and that sucks. And that customer might be lost forever. So how do you walk that line of, I want John Smith to get that hat on week six, but I don't want that guy who got three hats the last three weeks to get this hat, even though he doesn't want that color because he wants to sell it for 200 or $300 on a second uh, market website. So it's, it's tough. Um, I think we've, we've done a really good job at mixing it up between our own stuff, between collabs, um, between a lot of things that we're working on behind the scenes. Um, So I think, we're in a good spot. I think that there's a good balance between supply and demand. Uh, I think you always want demand to be a little bit above your supply, even though uh, that revenue won't hurt you. Um, but I think you need to just continue the frequency and, and, and try and do as new stuff and, and, and as often as possible. Um, so it's uh, forever a, a learning process for us too. Absolutely. Um... You know, that kind of brings me to a thought. Are you constantly needing to reinvent the wheel around, um, you know, whether it be new products or new projects or new collaboration? Um, are, or is it at a point where you can kind of lean on a specific set of SKUs and, and just say, okay, like this, this is our foundation. This is where we're going to expect to continue to see revenue. And all this new stuff is just going to kind of be in addition to that. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think like we're in the place where like if you say Siegelman Stable to someone and they either know us or never heard of us or they're like, oh yeah, I've seen that. They're always going to say the hat, right? Yeah. And I think that's great. It's our best product. It might be our best product forever, right? It might be our best product in five years and 10 years, and 30 years, whatever happens with this brand. Um, and I think that that's, I'm okay with that, right? As long as we continue to sell it. But I think, I don't think you need to reinvent your the wheel in terms of, um, in terms of like collaborations. So I'll give you an example, like collaborations for me is an amazing thing to do to help grow our brand, align with another brand and be able to tell the brand story in a cool different way and to a new audience. And for me, that's why I think collaborations has been a huge brand growth builder for us. And we'll continue to do that. And we're also putting a lot of eggs in our basket for our own cut and sew and, and, and new products. So last week was the first time we ever sold dad hats that sold out just as fast as our five panel traditional hats. And I think that's a really good test for us to see and to appeal to a different audience. 
I think I, I've heard a lot is like, oh, I can't wear the five panel trucker because it's too high or my head's too small or my head's too big, like whatever the reason is. So I think if you can offer and figure out what your quantities look like for different products to hit a different audience, it's only going to put you in, in in a favorable position to to gain um, customers and, and to grow your community. So I think that that's a big piece for us is filling in the blank with, with different products um, really paying attention and, and understanding what our customers want and who our customers are. Uh, I think whenever you release a new product, you think you always question, it's like, is this who my customer is? Like, am I making this because I want to make it? Or am I making this because my customers, I think will really want this and this is what they want. And I think that's a really tough thing to do when you have just a, a, a small community. Um, but as you continue to build, I think you can open up your your artillery to uh to to some other new cool and fun products and um and just from behind the scenes stuff like we're working on so many cool products that like I can't wait to start putting out there so I love it that's awesome um let's talk a little bit about um some of the partnerships that you've built um and you know we've alluded to a lot of the names that I've I've worn Siegelman Stable um how much of that you know was was your thinking how much of that came organically? You know, one thing really I didn't even mention earlier, Aaron Judge wearing the hat, um, you know, uh, in the postseason uh, before, you know, everyone was waiting to see what he was going to do with his contract. Um, you know, what was that like? And I remember you mentioned uh, on the radio, they were butchering your name, right? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron has been uh, the most organic supporter you could ever have. Uh Someone from his team reached out, was like, hey, Aaron and his wife really want some pieces. They were on your site, couldn't get anything. And I was like, well, we changed that. Um, and he's been a, a big supporter since uh, we made that connection. Um, so super organic. All of the collaborations that we've done and partnerships that we've had have all come through organic. Um, like, it's crazy, right? Like, it, it's it's crazy to think that they've all come organic. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you stories of like, how each one of those evolved and has felt so right and, and, and why we did them. Um, so I think like, that's kind of the mindset going forward too, with the brand is like all of the things that we have coming up and all the collaborations and projects we have coming up have all been organic and like have been uh, either relationships that I've been able to build through Siegelman stable now, or were prior to this or have just happened in a really fluid way. Was there, ever a point in your previous career where um you were maybe uncertain around you know what your trajectory was going to be um you know or were you happy before this all went down i was definitely happy but i i it's a that's a tough question uh actually let me think before i answer that i, I was definitely happy right like i i had a lot of like creative freedom in in my work in my jobs and everything that i was doing um, I put a lot of, I guess, eight years post-college uh, of time, effort, and focus into building relationships and not caring about money. Um, and when I say not caring about money, it's not fully true. It's like, I think I had a tough time figuring out how to monetize either those relationships or things that I introduced people for or made introductions. I think it's a really tough place to be at at a 20 something year old and trying to figure that out. Um, and I think someone gave me the example once is like the person who introduced the two founders of Google together, who launched Google made a really good living for himself or themselves. And, uh, and I think that was probably a really tough thing for me to continue to try and figure out. And I, I like 
still have trouble doing that. Like if you're going to introduce someone or bring two people to the table because you think that they could do something or have an opportunity, like it's tough to just ask someone for like an intro fee or, yeah. or anything like that. Um, yeah. I think I was pretty happy though. Uh, I, I think like you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know that this was going to happen. I didn't know that I was going to start a brand in a pandemic and 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 it was going to go in a really good trajectory. And like I said, I, I think we're still warming up. I don't think we're even close to to where this can go. Um, but I think we're on a really, really good path to to where it can. Yeah. No, I mean, to your point, brokering relationships is one of the hardest things to um to monetize and to um, you know, to authentically pursue. Um it it's a difficult, it's a difficult practice. Um I, I, mean, I, did, a, I did a lot of work for free. Like I yeah. I, I did a I'm lot right there of with you for, for big name people for yeah. Free. I made a lot of introductions for free, never wanted anything in return. Maybe yeah. sometimes I did and and just couldn't, didn't have the confidence to ask because I was too young and I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think some of those though come back in different ways than you think when you're in those moments. And like I said, I think like now that I have something of my own, um, you can ask maybe for some favors or you can remind them of things that you've done. Um, and majority of the time, those people would be happy to do it. And if they're not, then, then they're not, and you, you move on. There's, there's plenty of ways to, um, help yourself is, is the best thing you can do. You're absolutely right. I mean, you've built up the goodwill and that's what it comes down to, uh, now, um, that you're, um, you know, in the position that you're in, would you say that, you know, you're living your best life right now? <laughs> uh, I'm living the best life, uh, that I possibly can right now. I think I'm in a really good space uh i think i have a lot of really cool opportunities on the table that i probably didn't have before i started this um but i don't take them for granted uh i definitely want to help as many other people as i possibly can while i'm doing this um in, in a really good position just like personally like siegelman stable is run by two people it's myself and my girlfriend we work together we live together we live and breathe this together um so just in a in a good blessed spot that's awesome. Um, you know, I I want to make sure that I leave the listeners behind with with some guidance here. There's a lot of people out there who want to do something similar to what you're doing right now. You know, you took a leap in the midst of the pandemic. Um, like a lot of other people in this situation, myself included, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you just kind of figure it out along the way. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to be so general, but is there anything in particular that you want to make sure someone takes away from, you know, your story or that you want them to know um, now that they heard this episode and then they see your your product out there or they see someone wearing the hat um, that they associate with you and, and the journey? Yeah, I man, I think the biggest thing is like you never know what's what's ahead for you. Like you don't know where what you're going to be doing, where you're going to be in two, five, ten years. So just make sure that you nurture the relationships along the way, whether you're going to get a coffee for someone or whether someone's asking for a favor or an introduction, like just be humble and go do it. Like leave your, leave your ego behind and just go do it. Cause you don't know when, um, you can go to them and ask them for something or what position you'll be in, uh, in the next few years that may be ahead of them or behind them. Um, and I think that that's super important to think about. I think, think, think a little bit long-term than short-term. Um, and I, I would think question everything is probably my, my other one is 
like absorb and listen to to what everyone has to say and, and their opinions and their advice or 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 what they've gone through. Um, but just question everything and 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 do what you think is right for your thing. Like gut instinct to me is is a lot. Um, so I think if if you're trying to pave a new path and do something different, uh, no one's probably ever done it the way that you're gonna do it. So just be confident in that way if that's your gut feeling. Beautifully said. From the mouth of a legend, Max. Thank you so much. Honestly, man, um, you know I, I can't ex- express my gratitude for you coming on here, for sharing the story—a story that I know a lot of people have been kind of wondering about, wanting to hear more about. Um, and I'm super proud of you, your success, and, and the success of the organization. And I can't wait to see uh, where you take this thing. Like you said, you're only getting started. That's it. We're just warming up. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 Podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.